All right, Psalm 131. Um, we'll uh, read the, um, all three verses. All three verses. It says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself. As a child that is weaned of his mother, my soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord henceforth and forever. This psalm uh, was written by David and was birthed out of David's life experiences through which he learned to put his hope in God. How, how God taught him to be quiet and calm his soul in the Lord's presence. This is a, a great song, a psalm for all of us to study here this evening. It's a great psalm for the strong among us. For those type A personalities who are um, used to calling the shots or being in charge. Um, it's a great psalm for the successful person. Who, uh, those who are self-made, self-reliable, self-sustainable. It's a great psalm for, um, for, the, uh, for the scared, for the fearful person. Those who are anxious and nervous because of the work situation that you find yourself in. Or the family situation that you're in. Or the health situation that you are facing right now. It's a great psalm for the suffering those who are going through some trials, uh, those of you who don't know how you are going to move forward past the tribulation in your life. It's a great psalm to study for those who are trying to figure out um, what God is doing right now, why God is allowing you to go through um, your situation, or those who are trying to figure out why God has allowed you to go through some specific situations in your past, and you're still struggling with those situations, and even though you've, you've come through on the other side, but struggling, trying to figure out what it was that God wanted you to learn from those things. This is a great psalm for every single one of us to study tonight because we're all learning exactly what David was learning. Um, and it's a lesson that we ought to strive to live out. It's a psalm of contentment, composure, and humility. Charles Spurgeon referred to Psalm 131 as one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest psalms to learn. He said it's a short ladder, yet one that rises to a great height. As we look at these three verses, three short verses, I want to look at, I want to start off by looking at verse number three to first see what is the lesson that David wanted us to see. What's our objective tonight? What, it, what is it that God wants us to see from this Psalm, And it's what I've titled the message tonight, Hope in the Lord. God wants us to hope in Him. Verse number 3 says, Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. This is David's objective for us. Um, he was writing to the nation of Israel and his exhortation to Israel was to hope in the Lord. This is David's desire for us. That we would hope in God. That we would put our hope in the Lord now and forever. What does it mean to hope in the Lord? 
Um, it, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean how we oftentimes use the word hope today. Um, I typed in um, hope definition into the uh, search bar. And the first definition that came up was this, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. A, uh, a feeling of expectation and a desire for something to happen. That's not the kind of hope that David is speaking about. That kind of hope, um, we, how would that sound in a sentence today? Uh, we would use the word hope today and said, I hope it's cooler tomorrow outside. I looked at the forecast. I sure hope it's cooler tomorrow because we're playing baseball. I hope OU wins the College World Series. Win today helped in that. I hope they continue on. I hope that someone gifts me a large sum of money. That's my expectation. That's, my, that's, a, that's a hope that I have. That's not the type of hope that David is talking about here, though. The, de- the hope that David is speaking of, to hope in the Lord, means to put your confidence in God. Means to trust in Him. Means exactly what we just sang about a minute ago. Believing that He will keep His promises. It means to rest in Him. Means to rely on His love and His care for us. To hope in God is to wait on Him. That's not always very easy, is it? Waiting on God. Knowing with conviction that He is faithful and that He has not forgotten us. That's what it means to hope in the Lord. And that's, the, that's what David wants us to do. That's what David um, wants our goal to be. This exor is echoed in the previous chapter. Chapter 130. Look at verse number 7 of chapter 130. It says, let Israel hope in the Lord. It's the same thing that he wrote in the, in the following chapter with one slight difference. Um, in, in chapter 130, he lets us know what it looks like to hope in the Lord. Look at verse number 5. He said, I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. To hope in the Lord is to hope in his word. In verse number 7 of of chapter 130, um, it says to hope in his mercy and his loving kindness. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. That's his forgiveness. What does it look like to hope in the Lord? From chapter number 130 means to have confidence in, to trust in his word, in his mercy, in his loving kindness, and in his forgiveness. And so when we come to chapter 139 or 131, we see the need to calm or quiet our soul. In verse 2, to do so, we need to commit ourselves to hope in the Lord. To hope in the gifts that he has given us. The gift of his word. The gift of his mercy. The gift of his forgiveness. This is David's objective for us tonight, that we would put our hope in God. This is a lesson that only God can teach us. God is the one that comes alongside us and takes us on life experiences and puts us in uncomfortable positions so that our hope in Him can be deepened and our faith in Him can be strengthened. Sometimes these things can be learned in... uh, Uh, These things can't be learned in any other way than God putting us through certain circumstances. We can't learn them from a classroom or or from a book. Uh, No, sometimes God says, I need to do something in your life so that you can learn to hope in me more. So So that you can learn how to trust in me more than you ever trusted in me before. David's 
testimony is, is right here in these chapters. In, in verse number three, he says to them and to us, hope in the Lord. Then in verse number one, we see the testimony of how God took him through an experience that strengthened his hope. How did David get to the point that he was able to hope in the Lord? Verse number one, David shows us how to hope in God. Hoping in God is a transforming journey. It's a move. Um, it's a move where God takes us from something to something else. Hoping in God is moving from pride to humility. It involves us moving from pride to humility. Look at verse number one. It says, Lord, my heart is not haughty or prideful, nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. There's a move here in David's life from pride to humility. Look at the progression that's here in verse number one. He says, my heart is not haughty, my eye, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself or my entire being in great matters. The move has affected David's heart. It's affected his eyes. It's affected his entire life, his entire being. In verse number one, David is renouncing pride. He's rejecting arrogance, rejecting ambition. The idea is that he's not allowing himself to rise up to where God is. He says, my heart is not going to be proud. My eyes are not going to be lifted up high. I'm not going to allow myself to uh, be involved in the place that God is. Um, where is God? God is sovereign. God is in control. God is on the throne, not us. We are not in control. I'm not in control. I'm not sovereign. I'm not on the throne. God is in control. That's what David is making clear right here. He says, hey, I am not going to compete with God. I'm not going to be his rival. My heart is not haughty, nor are my eyes lofty. David felt it important to make this clear because he had been prideful in some, some, some instances in his life previous. He suffered dearly for those and he's learned from those situations. And now he's on the other side saying, hey, my heart's not haughty anymore. My eyes are not lofty. I'm not challenging God's position in my life. He says, I'm refusing to involve myself with the things that God has control over. The things that are too great for man. The second half of the verse, he says, Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. What, what is meant by the word exercise here? Is David saying that, that he wasn't a great exerciser? He didn't get on the treadmill or stairmaster very often? No, the, the Hebrew word for trance, the Hebrew word translated exercise here is halak. And it's an action word that's translated many, many hundreds of times in the Old Testament as Going or walking. And so what he's saying here is I'm not keeping myself busy concerning myself with going here and going there trying to accomplish all of these great things that are too high for me. He says I'm not going about keeping myself occupied, keeping myself busy, trying to do things that are too profound for me to try to do. What might, be, what might some of those things be? What might be a, a matter that is too great for us? Think about it. It's the things that God is doing that are far beyond our comprehension. It can be those things in our life that can, 
um, bring great difficulty or great pain. They're the mysterious questions that we don't have answers for. So what do we do? We ask God and we beg God for answers as to why this happened or what's the point in this trial. And God's answer to us is, hey, that's too great for me. It's too profound for you to understand right now. Even if I told you, you wouldn't comprehend what it is that I'm trying to do in your life. These are the higher ways of God that we read about in Isaiah chapter number 55, verse 9. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. The verse there, Moses gives us two different aspects of the will of God here. We have the revealed things of God, those things that he has clearly given us in his word. God has given us those things, his word to read and to study and to live out. He has made it very clear exactly what he wanted us to comprehend and what he wanted us to learn and do right here in his word. And so it's important that we know his word. It's important that we are able to do those things that he has clearly given us. But there are some secret things that God has not revealed unto us. There's the will of God that, um, and the work of God that he doesn't allow us to see until his work, until his will is fulfilled in our life. The will that, that he is trying to accomplish why we are suffering. Why he hasn't answered a specific prayer request that we've prayed for for years. Those are the secret things that are to be left unto God. Those are the things that he has said for us not to concern ourselves with. And those things, uh, those things can be many, right? They can be a, a number of different areas in our life. Perhaps for the young couple, it's the, it's the longing for a child. Perhaps for the single adult, it's the um, desire for companionship. It could be the prayer for healing and deliverance that hasn't been answered. It could be the prayer for the wayward friend or family member. Those are the secret things of God that he has not answered and he has not revealed unto us. And David said, hey, I'm not going to concern myself with the secret things of God. I am not God. God's ways are higher than my ways. And and I am not going to be distracted and tempted to move away from God just because I can't make sense of the secret things that he has not revealed unto me. David was content not knowing these things because he's found himself to hope in the Lord. It's not an easy thing to learn. It's not an easy thing to live. This is a daily battle that that we face uh, because, because the struggle is, is real to not let God be God alone. We struggle with allowing God to do his own thing um, because we're curious people. We want to know what's going on in our life. We want to know what's going on in the lives of those around us. Um, um, we like to be in control of our life's situations and to focus on the revealed things And leave the secret things to God is hard. Charles Spurgeon said this, A man does well to know his own size. A man does well 
to know his own size. Think about that statement. We do well to know our own size. It's a good thought for all areas of life. You better know your own size before you start picking a fight with somebody else that's bigger than you, right? But how foolish would it be for me to not know my own size and for not know what my capabilities are. And so I go, I put my hard hat on tomorrow and I go to work with Brother Steve Staller and Case Dewar. How foolish would that be for me to go into his workplace and start telling them how to work on electrical lines? How foolish would it be for me, Case, to get into the bucket truck, get up into the top and start messing with the transformer? That'd be pretty silly, right? I would kill myself. It's important for me to know um, my limitations in those areas. Um, It's important for me to know that those guys are way far advanced in those areas. They know so much more about those things compared to me. It's their, their world is so much bigger than mine in that area. And this world is not ours. It's God's. And it's good for us to know our own size when we're thinking about the things in life The secret things, the things that are too high for us, the things that only God knows. Think about this in relation to David again. When David was anointed to be king, he had to wait 10 years to actually take the throne as king of Israel. 10 years. And in those 10 years, he was was, um, threatened by Saul. Saul tried to kill him. He was, uh, uh, Saul tried to turn David's best friend against him and tried to turn David's wife against him. Um, He was running for his life through all of those years. Uh, He had uh, multiple opportunities to kill Saul and to um, take the kingdom for himself. But yet he waited and he learned not to concern himself with the things that were too high for him. Instead, he waited on God. And how often do we try to speed things along rather than waiting on God? It is in those times that we learn to wait on God that we uh, that we learn to let uh, we learn to have hope in Him. David said, "I will not have a haughty heart. I will not lift up my eyes to rival God. I will not concern myself with the things that are too high for me." Tim Keller, Christian author and speaker, says, Spiritual pride is the illusion that we are competent to run our own lives, achieve our own sense of self-worth, and find a purpose big enough to give us meaning in life without God. Look at that statement there. That is, that is spiritual pride. It's the opposite of Psalm 131. When we think we are competent to run our own lives or achieve our own self-worth or find a purpose big enough to give ourselves meaning, our hearts become haughty, our eyes are lifted up, and we begin to concern ourselves with being a God over our own life. So how did David have hope in the Lord? God took him on a journey to move him from pride to humility. For it is the humble heart that hopes in the Lord. The proud heart hopes in himself. The humble heart trusts in the Lord. 
Then he developed a calm and quieted soul. In verse number two. He says, surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Most of us would understand that a weaned child, what a weaned child is, a weaned child is one that is no longer nursing. Um, It says here that the weaned child is the behaved and quieted one. And that might strike some as odd, um, especially to some mothers of some two-year-olds. They might disagree with that. So, no, my two-year-old is not behaved and is not quiet. Uh, But but this is how I understand to apply this verse. The child that is not yet weaned embraces their mother for what they can immediately get from her. Not simply to be with her. They want food and they are going to cry and get red in the face and there's nothing that dad can do. There's nothing that anybody else can do until they get the food and nourishment from their mother. The food that they want, the food that they need. That's the child that is not weaned. It comes to the mother for the purpose of getting what they want, what they need. The weaned child is calmed and quieted. Not by what the mother gives in terms of need. The weaned child is quieted by the presence of the mother herself. Simply because of who she is. Tim Keller described it this way. A nursing child held by its mother is highly aware of the milk she can offer and will squirm and cry if denied. But a child that has been weaned And no longer nurses is content just to be with its mother. Enjoying her closeness and love without wanting anything else. This is why some of the sweetest moments for the mother is when a weaned child, no matter how old, crawls up into her lap and snuggles on her shoulder. Just wanting to be close to the mother's presence. Why? Because the child has learned to love his mother just for who she is to him. Not by what he can get from her. He's learned to go to her. Not to get what he needs. But just to be with her. In our home our boys are to the age. Not really into snuggling any longer. Except for Ollie a little bit. He likes to snuggle before he goes to bed every night. But he doesn't want to snuggle with dad. He wants to snuggle with mom. He'll let me snuggle with him for a little bit, for a few minutes. But before he goes to sleep, he needs mom to lay by his side. Because of the sweet love that he has for her and that she has for him. And what David has learned in his life is that he has been weaned from himself to God. He's no longer wanting God just for what he can get from God. But he wants to be near God because of who God is. And because of what God's done in his life. He's been weaned from pride to humility. He's been weaned from things too high for him to leaving those things with the Lord. And now he's behaved himself and quieted his soul like a weaned child. Think about the process of weaning. It's painful. There's resistance. There's tears. There's tantrums. And not just from the mother, but from the child as well. It's hard to go through an experience in life when you're being broken. 
And that's what weaning is, right? It's breaking the child from the mother's um, nourishment. And God, and that's what God is, is doing in our life. He's taking us through, through life's experiences to break us from something. Whether he's weaning us from ourselves or pride or whatever it might be, it's uncomfortable. So we want to go back to the way it was. We want things to be comfortable, which helps us to understand how it is that God weans us. So often he weans us through trials and through suffering. David had to go through some trials. He had to go through some suffering to wean him off of himself. Some of those trials were of his own doing, of his own making. Some of those trials were of God's making. But it was only through that journey that he learned to put his hope in God. And God has brought us through some things and taken some things away out of our life so that um, something that we were hoping in, he's taking some ambitions out of our lives with the goal of us placing our hope and our faith and our trust in him alone. David knew that the only hope for Israel was the Lord. If life had taught this man anything, it was this foundational truth. He knew what it meant to defeat giants, to ascend to the thrones. He knew what it meant to go from the sheepfolds to the king of Israel. He knew what it meant to be rich and powerful. He knew what it meant to hold men's lives in the palm of his hands. But he also knew that in a matter of seconds, everything could change. Everything could turn to dust and ashes. He knew that one day a king could find himself barefoot and running for his life because his own son wants to kill him and take his throne. He also knew what it meant to rebel against the Lord and to suffer greatly for that rebellion. He knew what it meant to have a lofty aspirations of his children just to be crushed into heartache, despair, and death. And all that David learned, none of that mattered unless his hope was in the Lord. David knew for himself and for his kingdom that their hope must be in the Lord. And for us tonight, our hope needs to be in God. Our confidence needs to be in Him. We need to trust in Him, believing that He will keep His promises. We ought to rest in Him. Rely on His love and and rely on His care for us. Waiting on God, knowing with conviction that he is faithful and that he has not forgotten us. Where is your hope tonight? Is it in yourself? In what you can do? In what you can accomplish? Where are your eyes? Are they lifted up, focused on the secret things of God? Or is your hope in the Lord? We sang about it tonight. It's easy to sing about. It's easy to say. It's a whole lot harder to live. Having our hope in God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I come before you tonight.